Hi everyone, welcome to Brick and Block. I'm uh, very excited to introduce my next guest on the podcast, Martin Smith. Hey Martin. Hello. Thank you very much uh, for making the time today. Um, we shared the stage very recently uh, at one of your events. Um, it's a CPD and it session. wasn't tap, tap dancing, was it? No, it wasn't tap dancing. Um, no. We could have potentially, I thought. Because it was a lovely venue, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was a really, really nice uh, venue, um, big space. Uh, and it was a hybrid, so it was online and had a lot of clients watching and then coming, sending emails afterwards saying, you know, well done, or did you cover this, or could we have done this? Um, so, yeah, no, it was a quite good uh, good thing to do. But the uh, to get hybrid right, you have to spend a lot on having proper AV and systems uh because uh you want it to look like the set of this morning apparently on the stream it looked like this morning which it, it definitely looked fantastic good. i mean there we go. i thought it was brilliant because you know you had three great you know sections of the of the whole panel and i thought yeah. it was it was a great way to to show i think uh what we're doing in the industry which is i think you know we're, we're all moving towards the right direction right yeah um, so i thought i thought that was great um but for those who probably don't know you, um, you've you've been around for a while now. You've you you sort of really established yourself at Bureau Four for quite a while, haven't you? And then and then moved to TFT recently. Yeah, so I was at um, Bureau Four for about eight years. Um, yeah. Before that, I was like a pure building surveyor, but doing loads of project management, EACA role in London for about four and a half years, and then um, and then I've been at TFT for nearly a year and a bit. Um, at mm. the moment, um, and then in my last role, I used to head up the commercial offices sector. Um, but I've done most sectors apart from hotels, so yeah. I know about everything. That's pretty no or nothing. I think they call it. <laughs> I've I've touched on hotels very briefly before I moved to Barcazetas, and um, I find it quite an eclectic industry. There's a lot of opinions in that particular one. And you get loads of like really like flamboyant uh, it is. personalities, which I live for. This way yeah. I do. This is what I do. I love what I do. It's the personalities, not only in that sector, but in all yeah. sectors, clients, and how everyone works together. I find the psychology of it really interesting. It is. It's like you, you do get some brilliant characters on each project. Um, yeah. And it could come yeah. from anyone. I mean, I've, I I'm working with an extremely flamboyant, and you won't believe it, a mechanical engineer who comes up with the most yeah. outrageous um, uh, shirts. Every time it's different and it's amazing. And I applaud him so much. <laughs> exactly. Make an effort. Love it. No, it's great. Um, but apart from Bureau 4 and TFT, I mean, you've, you've also been involved in quite a few organizations, BCO and Building Equality as well for a couple of years, haven't you? Yeah, so I um, was co-chair of building quality from the end of 2019 for about nearly three years, um, mm. which is an LGBT plus construction-led uh, uh, network around the UK. Um, I was in the London region, so it was really focusing on getting people through that really bad psychological time that we all went through, that we're still reeling from the effects of in what we're designing um, and managing, um, and then 
I've been a mentor for BCO Next Gen, Freehold LGBT, who I was mentored by when I was mm-hmm. first into London, like nearly 15 odd years ago when it first formed. And then I also run a community group in East London. And I'm a trustee of a charity where we're trying to build the first AIDS memorial in London. And we oh, finally got some money from the GLA to start the design and selection process um, on what was announced on World AIDS Day 2023. So that's in process mm. now in Camden. So yeah, many pies, wow. many holes. Many pies. No, but I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's... Um... To, to be involved in quite a few organizations is, is pretty amazing. We, we were just talking off air earlier on that it's, it's nice to see people starting to meet in person. Um, I know this is virtual, but generally speaking, people are starting no, to come together. It's an alert. We're actually in the same room. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the dynamics have changed, haven't they? You know, people are, it's still a bit hybrid. Some people are coming in, some people aren't. And, you know, yeah. I think it's that transition still, isn't it? A hundred percent. And, you know, not everything fits somebody than somebody else. Uh, it's quite individualistic, if that's even a word. Um, uh, however, you know, when we're dealing with project teams, we do all need to see kind of meet each other and be in person, specifically when we're dealing with uh, existing buildings. Or as they say now, fabric first. Fabric first, definitely fabric first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were we were talking about um, AV earlier on, but I think we've, I don't think any of us expected to invest so much in AV since COVID. Oh yeah. I was doing a project during COVID and we were changing one of the rooms and it was half a developer, half a um uh, it's like a venture capitalist, but they had a development arm as well. And one of the meeting, the large like boardroom, they wanted it completely hybrid slash in person. So no matter where you were at home or in the room, your experience was the same. So then yeah. we ended up having a, like, um, iPads or iPads, basically that you could prop up, have a slot in the, in the, in the desk and the speakers were in the ceiling we like hidden microphones were like hidden, but there, um, and basically you could have the same experience as you have on teams in the room mm. as you would on home. Uh, but it was so expensive to do. I wouldn't even like to say mainly because I'm under an NDA, but, um, <laughs> it costs a lot of money. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, you know, we, even in our office, we've, um, when we, we, we think we've moved in about a year and a bit now. And when we moved, our directors were like, well, actually we need to probably up our game a little bit in terms of our meeting rooms and stuff. You know, we had quite a simple setup before we've, we've now embellished that a little bit more so that we are able to do that hybrid, you know, system scenario a little bit better. Um, and it's becoming more and more important. I mean, wherever we go, I've got a meeting tomorrow morning at a client's place and you know, it's literally all about that seamless transition to just plug in your laptop, you know, instantly get onto teams or whatever yeah. you're using zoom and, and, and have that, um, seamless transition and presentation quality. But yeah, it's a, uh, who knew, who knew five years ago that we need to have to do that more and more. 
exactly. Um, one thing I was interested to see and hear from your perspective was you've been in the industry for almost like 10 years now or even more than that. What have, what has been sort of the transition do you think from your perspective as a PM in the sort of sustainability side of things? Because it, I've noticed a change and certainly in the last five years, it's really ramped up, but do you mm. think, do you think the same or do you think actually it's been more gradual or what was, what's your, your view on it? I think in the last couple of years, it's completely sort of released itself in terms of the art of the possible mm. before that everyone was kind of tick box, tick boxing, yep. Briam, maybe do a bit of well. Um, you know, EPC, yeah, that was important, but fundamentally people were kind of, I wouldn't say cookie cuttering projects, but there was kind of a standardization to it. Now yeah. I would say with like neighbors, other accreditations, how they all interplay together, whole life carbon is a massive thing in terms of like embodied and in use, like that whole piece and Good developers at the moment are holding pots of money and making you track that through each Reba stage. Um, mm. That is really driving innovation. Um, and I would say, but on top of that as well, you really need like a really good designer to work with you and be passionate about it, to innovate towards all of this stuff because, um, and as a team, because it's, it, it's can be, I'd say it's my role, project management. We are now having to spin so many plates mm. because we're having to track, you know, maybe six forms of accreditation across a building through the oh, Reba yeah. stages, plus reporting on um, sustainability um, outputs, which might be on a matrix over, I don't know, 50 different things that you're tracking. Mm. Um, meanwhile, you're trying to make something really designed and something the market wants so it can be um overwhelming but people need to look at it practically because you can't have everything and some things counteract other things so you know yeah the best sustainable project is the one that gets built and i think so many people stay in the design stage for too long sometimes and start rejigging we talked about this before we went live is that, you know, clients who are dragging um, design teams away from and doing lots of change, all that does is stifle in innovation and, you know, you're a designer, you want to just design and like innovate. But if you're having to suddenly like, oh, we want another floor here, we will change matting here, you know, during Reaper stage, end of Reaper stage three or four, or you want to cut a 20% of the budget quickly, it's, uh, it can become a bit, um, a bit of a soulless task, I would say. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always tricky, isn't it? When, I mean, we've all, you know, all clients, all design teams and construction teams have all been in the position where we've, we've had to, you know, pivot on scenarios. And obviously the market right now is a bit tricky, isn't it? It's taking, I think we're all seeing that it's all taking a little bit longer than usual to get through the approvals processes. The gateways. Oh, yeah. the read the stage approvals now are ridiculous. Yeah. In terms it's taking of the scales. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely taking a lot more time and, you know, as frustrating as it can be, I guess we, we were talking about this in the office that 
I guess, from a commercial perspective, we are appreciative that, you know, whilst it does take time and, you know, then, you know, you've got teams on hold, it's, it's on the back of, you know, inflation. It's on the back of, you know, things getting more expensive. We all found out it was so tricky during the COVID period that, you know, you couldn't get certain supplies, labor shortages were, were happening. Um, and I think, you know, generally it's getting a bit better now, but it's still tricky. You know, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot more, we're having to allow for a lot more time between Reba stages to allow the cost plan to be updated properly, to yeah. get challenged by the client teams. They have to think about it a few times before they actually go, okay, fine, let's, let's go for it. Or, you know, quite inevitably it does happen that we have to have a bit of scope change, as you mentioned, or yeah. doing a bit of VE. Um, yeah. and, and that, I mean, that's, that's a sort of a, a sort of a segue in terms of, I, I think a couple of years ago, there would have been a scenario where we would have wanted to do sustainability led innovation, say into a project. And they would have been the first to get cut. That's not happening as much nowadays, where I think the importance of what sustainability is having for a project is becoming, um, it's, it's more of an integral part now. I think we are finding that clients and developers yeah. are willing to give it a little bit more importance than, you know, say 10 years ago, whatever it might be. Yeah. And they, they typically have um, pots of separate money to deal with that and top projects up, um, to, to achieve that. But with this high inflation, it does mean that design teams should be doing more with less. Um, I was some, oh, who was it that told me some architect was like, oh yeah, the, this was before the pandemic. It's like, you know, you have to do Instagram moments, you know, it's either Instagrammable or it's cheap and it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, look at your project and see where they, where your money's being spent. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the one, it's... Word, the, the one word I was about to say is that, yeah, that it's really faux pas now is recycling. Oh, don't use that word. That is like, you know, it's almost like dead naming someone. It's like, it's Reuse. an offensive word in the industry now, whereas before it was kind of, we're going to recycle and everyone was like, well done. You've done such an amazing thing. Like eight mm. years now it's like reuse. Yeah. Where can we get the steel from? Who has raised access floor tiles? You know, yeah. um, it's almost like a Californian gold rush on reuse steel at the moment. So, uh, no. it is. I mean, I think terminologies have changed. The approach has changed. You know, uh, I, I mentioned it at the event that we were, we were at together that, you know, once upon a time, it would have been quite tricky to use the word reuse with agents, but you know, agents are coming around a little bit more now and, and that's, that's great for, for all of us. Um, but one thing that I was interested in getting your opinion on was usually it's either the PM or the architect who's part of the initial team per se, when the client's thinking about, Hey, let's redevelop a building mm. in those early days from a brief perspective. How, what's your sort of approach to thinking about sustainability? Cause you know, are you finding that, you know, developers will go, and I, th I think it's probably a mix, isn't it? Really? There'll be certain developers who will want to just chase the certifications and there'll be some who will actually be interested in the holistic side of things. Um, do you, do you find that 
you as a project manager now have to take them on a journey to educate or do you think some are actually you know what we've got a sustainability lead in the team they're part of the briefing process you know how how are you sort of finding the sort of the balance between that the institutional developers who hold stock mm. have this stuff in-house and they do a lot of peer reviews in-house and you're yep. well supported the big developers um have certain in-house skills but they know what's going on and they benchmark what other companies are doing you might review a development brief and it will say things like um derwent uh x rating or publication uh we're doing that plus or you know they're benchmarking each other so that's kind of like self-regulating it um mm. but what i do worry for and what is hard is if you've got like a one-time project and then you've got a new client that may be new to the sector um and they don't have that in-house knowledge you're having to um educate them or skill them up whilst delivering the project that's quite a rarity but that is still still out there most development is short term um most developers go in and out quickly and want to sell it as soon as it's fully let or pre that. Um, they're the ones that are probably least active at the moment because highly leveraged inflation, interest rates and the like, and appraisals not working. Um, they look at things more short termism. Uh, so I had one recently go to me, well, we're not going to do neighbors because we feel that it impacts the tenants and the tenants don't know what's going to you know what's down the track for that um mm -hmm. and we think it's going to be a restrictor so we'd rather not do it we, we'd rather not be first to market but then if you look at consultancies and specifically service engineers you look at the projects they're working on 80 percent of them are going for neighbors that are going to be delivered in the next one to four years so we're yeah. suddenly going to be like bombarded with these products and some of the, some of the product out there that isn't going for this is going to stand out potentially for those occupiers that are seeking high ESG, uh, pro uh, you know, products and reporting up upwards. Yeah, definitely. I a hundred percent agree. There've been a, quite a few articles I've, I've been seeing recently where uh, quite a few of the big agencies are saying right now that actually tenants are genuinely going to go for the ESG-led developments. Um, everyone, including TFT, including Bargazettas, you know, we've we've all made our own company policies, right? You know, we've, you know, everyone's yeah. going for, you know, this is our sustainability targets. We're all moving towards net zero. We're making an effort in our company to track our carbon you know can we can we yeah. pick a utility company that's you know providing green energy all those sorts of things yeah um, and you know if we're doing that then of course any other tenants will also look at those things 100 percent. i mean all these businesses are trying to adopt or are adopting science-based targets which you have to report this stuff the stock yeah. exchange are having to do this uh so all these businesses are having to report this to their shareholders and ultimately that's going to become even more pressing. I mean, mm. I think the biggest 
Bits, which is when HSBC moved out of Canary Wharf and decided to go into a, a old BT building with an existing concrete frame um, as a reuse project in St. Paul's. That has really opened people's eyes up to the fact that if a large mm-hmm. company like that is yeah. making the decision to use a reuse building, um, as well as even large oil extractors going into refurbished buildings, which I know of, um, that is, you know, a mark, a market in itself in the sense of, you know, it's no longer refurbished. It's just like a good product that is highly sustainable. And also people are bored of like, you know, new builds, um, uh, product you know towers and the like they want to see some history they want to see you yeah. know the concrete the steel they want to see the the little you know tweaks on that building that make it unique that you know Definitely. the yeah that's what london's about we're a pick and mix of product and occupiers they're all diverse in what they're doing um and yeah it's it's good in that sense. I think, I think it's a good. Mm, I a hundred percent agree because I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've, we've obviously, uh, done Holbein gardens together with you guys and yeah, you know, why it's so successful is because there's a, there's a character, there's a history to it. And, you know, we've, we've turned an existing building into a very highly performing, sustainable building. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's you know, one of many buildings out there that are really pushing boundaries. Right. And we said that at the event that mm. there's so many opportunities for us in the industry to, to show each other. I know there's a learning process, isn't it? It's a bit of a show and yeah. tell, uh, where we could all sort of say, okay, we've done this on this project. It's special for this. Another project's done something else. I mean, you know, a lot of things that we've done on Holbein gardens may not be applicable to all buildings because it is a unique. Yeah. But we've pushed the boundaries and there'll be another project that's pushed the boundaries another way. And I think that's great. And certainly from a heritage and character perspective, it, it shows that we can all refurbish retrofit buildings and not necessarily have to knock them down. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, you, you do need really good engineers, both services and, uh, structural to do that. Um, Absolutely. I, but people love a glow up. You know, they love to be able to see something, you know, mm. tatty old and, you know, walk past and, oh, isn't that, you know, something that not, not desirable to something that, you know, looks good it's really nice is, you know, is uh, a really good product. Um, and you're even seeing, you know, uh, large uh, developers in London who typically wouldn't go into that space now are entering it which is really interesting and it just shows in the last 24 months, how things have changed. Do you think that also from a, um, from a contractor side, um, we will, we both will deal with lots of contractors, you know, through our last I've worked for contractors. I worked for a contractor. Well, I worked for three contractors during the <laughs> financial crash because there was the only jobs I could get. And not disrespectful, but I didn't want to be an estimator and uh, quantities <laughs> there, but that was, and I wasn't trained in it either, but that was what I did. So yeah. I didn't have to claim, uh, the doll. Um, yeah. 
but uh, that was around the UK and that was um, a learning exercise in terms of how fast paced everything is, that side of the fence and how you're not really interrogating things. You're just like, you know, process driven, get it done out the door, um, which is why you need to have a really robust design when you go out to tender and when you're in contract, because they're not going to do the thinking for you because they're not paid to and the margins are really low um, mm. and profitability. So, you know, do all that legwork before, please. That's my industry sort of push. Or we could start, you know, paying money, more money to build things so contractors can invest in their own R&D. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true though. I mean, and, you know, we, we did a lot of work with TFT with Holbein Gardens where, you know, with Matt, um, who's head of ASG, uh, for you guys. And, you know, yeah. we, we had to do a lot of what you said. We, we had to make sure that, you know, the research, the, the development was, was there. We ensured all the materiality selection was correct. You know, all the embodied yeah. carbon calculations with, with the structural engineers, with, with the M and E guys, you know, was the operational energy, all of those things, you know, we did a lot of work before we passed it on to the contractor. I think yeah. for me, what's been interesting is that there's been a nice change with contractors and, and it's not there yet. In my opinion, I think a lot of contractors are still gearing themselves up for it. You know, they're, they're still making sure that they get a sustainability lead into their companies or they're partnering mm. with, uh, a consultancy to, to help support that. Um, are you, are you, are you finding yeah. that? There's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with, I'd rather a contractor come to me and go, we're not specialists in this. We're looking to be like this. We are yeah. going to try and get someone in house, but for now we're going to use this, you know, global consultancy or consultancy that's done this a thousand times and more. And um, because yeah. you know, they're going to be able to deliver and they're going to be well supported and they'll learn from that process because they yeah. can like learn from it. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, in terms of, um, contractors, I think. I've been in situations where clients are turned around to a contractor and going, well, um, all our projects are going to be cut and carb refurbishments going forward. So if you don't want to take X risk on the project, then you're not going to really work with us going forward. And that's a bit of a wake up call to these, uh, uh, contractors who are used to sort of new build or, or, um, or, you know, having, having, a um, an easier product to deliver, um, mm. cause cutting carbs are harder to deliver and the, pro you yeah. know, it's harder to get a profit and it's harder. It is harder. It is, it's a lot more effort. It's effort consultancy side, design side, contractor side. It is all a lot of effort, um, to sort of deliver something, but you know, that's what makes it fun. And that's what makes, you know, you know, that should get people out of bed in the morning rather than, you know building, you know, a cookie cutter, uh, product. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, one of my favorite bits of the project, apart from the design is actually building it and oh yeah, hundred percent. As, as pain in the ass as it can be with existing buildings and they can be, cause I don't think I've done a building so far to date that, uh, has not thrown a surprise at me. You know, there's always been a curveball, like there's a, 
there's a column uncovered or there's a slab that's appeared out of nowhere or there's the walls thicker than you're expecting it to be or whatever it might be and you know i think it's it's quite fun to sort of go through those moments and and figure out how you can adapt and and pivot to to deal with that scenario i mean you you mentioned you know one of the things to bear in mind with retrofit is the allowance of time we've we've obviously talked about being ready with the right team and experience. So whether that's on the client side, whether it's design team, making sure that you do have a good group of people that are um, invested and experienced in retrofit. And the mm. same goes for the contractors. You know, they, they, I think that it is happening. It's certainly people are becoming more engaged into it. Do you think there's other things to bear in mind with retrofit, you know, bar the commercial side, bar the time perspective that perhaps people won't necessarily think of. So one of the big things is, uh, getting your energy model, right. But also like, mm. it's, it's kind of simple stuff. When I used to write, do spec writing as a building surveyor, and I remember this block of flats in Fitzrovia, we were doing, um, refurbishing them. So it was resi, but they were affordable, old, like one bed flats from the Victorian era. And it's like, how do you insulate that mansard? Where's the interstitial condensation? You know, you'd have to assess this stuff before you designed it. And I find a lot of designers, they don't really understand the implication of an existing building in terms of the thermal side of it. I think that's a bit of a skills gap, um, at the moment, you know, uh, how you detail around a window, you know, what glazing you put in G values. Uh, what does that do to the wall construction? Are you going between the, the joystick in the, you know, what, mm. what product are you using? You know, is it going to be highly sustainable, which means thicker. And if you told your client, you're going to use, lose NIA, <laughs> or are you going to go for, um, a, uh, you know, a more, uh, non-sustainable product, which is thinner. And then what mm. does that do? Um, I think that's a bit of upskilling people could do, but I I was listening to the podcast about AI you did and how, yeah. you know, it should be a lot simpler now, shouldn't it? You know, with the Reddit, it should, you should be able to click a button and it tells you the solar gain and the interstitial mm. compensation and, you know, what U values you're achieving. Um, but it doesn't do that. But I mean, I think in five years time, we'll listen back and we're like, well, it is doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly what we need. I mean, we, we had to do a lot of work, um, with, with Matt's team on, on Holbein, where we, we really had to interrogate the buildup of, of, of what we were trying to retrofit with Holbein Gardens, right? We, we had, we, we ended up actually doing a, a mixture of, um, different types of insulation to, to upgrade that old building. You know, there were opportunities to use mineral walls. Some, some we had to use yeah. some really super thin space age insulation blankets. Yeah. Um, but. You know, you, you're right. I mean, you know, when you, th what's, what's been interesting for us was that when you throw in the whole fire side of things with CLT and over 18 meters, mm -hmm. unfortunately, and this is a real shame, I think, is that you end up throwing out of the window quite a few sustainable products. You know, you can't use certain products as soon as you trigger a certain height. Yeah. And I think that's probably, I'd like to see that as one area that we we could actually investigate a little bit more, you know, whether a bit more R and D could happen, insurers could get a little bit more 
um, comfortable with using different products. You know, I don't know. That's, that's something that I feel that it'd be nice if the industry could move in that way. But I, I, I mean, with the insurers and the whole fire scenario, I'm not sure if that's going to happen immediately. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that whole element of it is a big restrictor in the market. Um, but, um, you know, I was talking about that mansard. I remember drawing up nine details with the same product and different products just for one mansard, you know, and I remember, you know, drawing that by hand, um, <laughs> scanning in and sending it over to a contractor to build on site. Um, that is, you know, fundamental to cut and carve is that everything is different. I used to work on the, um, museum of London site in West Smithfield, which is still on site. Um, that is a BIM level two project and therefore, but the problem with that is that every cubic meter on that project is different. So you can <laughs> imagine the detailing is on Revit is a, a bit of a nightmare. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, very complex and you've got to know what you're working with. Um, you know, how does a brick natural, how should a brick actually be used? What was its intended purpose? Um, and, uh, all that good stuff, but, uh, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting time. Are you seeing a lot of, um, uh, clients come to you following the success of Holborn Gardens in terms of, uh, wanting to repeat it or better it, or are you seeing, are you seeing that as sort of like a big sort of, I don't know, uh, like a black pole in the industry? Cause it is yeah. useful at the moment, isn't it? In terms of, uh, uh, well, I see it a lot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Holbein was, was a special project. Um, it's, we, we were talking about this internally the other day where we said that if you look at the individual elements of what Holbein has done, I don't think it's revolutionary in its individual element, mm. but I think what what it's done that has made it quite special is that we've put together a lot of things yeah. in a building that you probably wouldn't have thought that you could integrate those elements. Yeah. And that's what I think has made it quite special because, you know, using CLT in a building has been done for many years, mm. but it's the combination of all of these different things. And I think what we're trying to say to the industry is, is you, you must take a holistic approach with your design approach. And, and it's all of the things that, that we've mentioned today. It's, it's making sure that the services engineer understands the fabric, you know, understands the performance so that they can pick the right mechanical equipment that you've got yeah. an a AHU on the building that maybe has integrated air source heat pumps, you know, that we're getting rid of the gas. We, we going all electric. Yeah. All of these things from a services perspective, you mentioned the fact that we need to have a good structural engineer. If the structural engineer is, is innovative, they're experienced, they can say that, okay, you know what, we're going to use, um, you know, rather than the standard, uh, concrete, we're going to use something with a bit more GGBS con content. We're mm. going to go for something, or it could be SEM free, or it's, you know, let's, let's reduce our, um, you know, instead of using a concrete brick, we'll go for something slightly different. 
I think you, you need a team that is engaged, that has got ideas. And I think we were very lucky with Holbein that we actually had a great team and everyone called yeah. for it. And importantly, we had a good client who was actually engaged to say, I want you to do something different and special. And that allowed us. And I think that gave us the, not carte blanche, definitely not carte mm. blanche, but it did give us a lot more freedom um, to do that. And I think if we can create more communication and openness within design teams and with clients and contractors, yeah. then I think we will see more and more, um, amazing buildings and, you know, you, you've done one very recently as well, haven't you? Which, which was fantastic. Um, that we talked about on, on, at your event. Yeah. We're trialing, um, material passports on that one. Um, so that should be a good learning exercise and that's, uh, neighbors five star we're going for yeah. and that one that's on site at the moment. Um, we're learning a lot from that one, but again, it's not innovative really. It's kind of common sense things we're doing. Um, but I would say based on your previous point is that the main thing is companies need to upskill their staff and make sure they've got these sustainable, uh, know-how, um, we roll out something called absorb, which is like mandatory training. You have to do online and pass the quiz and there's like five mm -hmm. competencies and all the rest of it, uh, which Matt has put together it is very hard. It took me on one quiz, um, maybe eight times to pass it. Um, and considering I wow. did my dissertation on zero carbon refurbishment, you know, in 2008, nine, you know, even I couldn't understand some of the stuff on this, uh, this quiz. So it was harsh. Um, and then another thing we're talking about is, you know, design team just working well together, but that's why as a project manager, you know, the team, the design team, the DTM need to be in a room together so we can tell from the body language, we can. If somebody doesn't understand, or we might need to sort of get more support from that business, uh, mm. to make sure it does perform, or we do get the knowledge we need because, you know, it, it involves everyone and, you know, uh, most co communication is nonverbal, uh, you know, and getting your sketch pad out and drawing up a detail or, you know, I find, uh, so much is lost in translation on email. And it, it, you know, and that will create its own thread of 20 emails when you could have resolved that in two minutes in a, in a, in a meeting room. I, I a hundred percent agree. I hate emails right mm. now with a passion, I, but um, I think the industry has become email, email heavy and over reliant on. Yeah. And um, I wish people I would pick up the phone at least please. I'm, I'm a bit old school like that. I do like picking up the phone to say hello yeah, to someone and, and just sort yeah. of sort it out. But, uh, it certainly feels like we could probably talk about this for quite a lot. So, um, before I, uh, let you go, I do have a final question for you. If, uh, with all the things that you have seen in the industry, if money was no object, what was the one thing that you think you could implement to tackle climate change? I wouldn't say it's necessary for our industry. But I would say that carbon taxing and going straight to green hydrogen is the way forward. You know, we've got all these wind turbines in London, London, what am I talking about? In the UK, um, yeah. I haven't been drinking at lunchtime, I have to add. Um, and, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, 
you know, they're struggling to get this into the network, into London and all the rest of it, you know, with the new, new infrastructure and, you know, the grid not being efficient. Well, why don't they just pull that extra energy and create green, green hydrogen that we can use in vehicles and, and sort of start that now? I don't mm. see why we're going to electric cars, which have, you know, tons of embodied carbon and are really bad. And if you've got a laptop and you know, after three years, the battery has gone, well, that's the same as a car, you know, it does, <laughs> you know, what's happening to all this stuff. It's, um, it's, uh, that's one thing I think we should be doing, uh, now. Um, and also for, for the construction industry, I think we need to be, I think we need, uh, a new way to engage or more funding for UK PN because we're all going all electric. Ideally, we could sign up to an upgrade or a new transformer. It's delivered in three months or, you know, from order. Um, it's not going to cost half a million. It's going to be subsidized by the government because we are decarbonizing the building. Um, if developers, small developers could have that, know it's going to be less hassle and it's going to be funded. Um, it, I think that would sort of drive a lot of, um, changes to the built, built heritage and the property industry overnight, but you know, I'm speaking on a, probably a, a gilded road of not practicalities on that. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's true though. I mean, I think the, the key thing for me is, um, very interesting to hear that because I, I do agree about the infrastructure side. If you, you know, electric vehicles are great, you know, the, mm. the fun, the, the principle of it is fantastic, but if the infrastructure is not there and I know it's growing, it's great. Mm. You, you're not going to have much uptake and it sort of is the same with the property industry. If you, if the government wants us to go net zero we've got all these fantastic yeah. targets you've got to make it easier for everyone we've i've um i've been part of the letty pioneer group yeah and a lot of the conversations that interestingly have been happening in that group have have been on the smaller scale where they've also said well how are you going to deal with the tax side of things with you know carbon how are you going to how are you going to deal with that? Because if you want to do something truly sustainable, you need some incentive. And, you know, if you, if you're not going to provide that, then unfortunately it does come down to the commercials where, um, people, developers, clients will have to think twice about using a certain innovation or implementing a certain technology mm. into a building and. I think that's often forgotten that policy also has to be there to back up decisions and support the ambitions that we want to move forward as a industry, as a country, as a planet. Um, yeah. so I, I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, believe it or not, we had a, we had a project recently that we were talking about the hydrogen and within talking about it for 20 minutes in person. Uh, we, we unfortunately decided to dismiss it because the services engineer was like, look, it could be great, but 
but we just do not have the infrastructure right now to make it happen. And whose fault's that? February. This is a rhetorical question to the audience. <laughs> exactly. It's but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a situation, but you know, I don't know, maybe like I said, you know, five years from now, we said it with AI, maybe hydrogen will come about. Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully, hopefully. But uh, thank you very much, uh, Martin. Really, really appreciate no your problem. time. And no for those listening, thank you very much for listening in and uh, I'll see you in the next one.